Welcome to the Beer Conspiracy Show. This is a comedy podcast where three longtime friends discuss off the wall topics, conspiracy theories, and horrific crimes. We like to drink beer and joke around about everything and tend to find humor in strange places, so this show may be considered offensive by some. Mature listening audience is advised. If you like weird stories, cracking a cold one, and having a laugh, you are going to love the Beer Conspiracy Show. Hello, and welcome to the Beer Conspiracy Show. Uh, tonight, we only have two of your regular hosts. Dirty D is absent tonight. He uh, took a dick in the ear and punctured his eardrum. <laughs> so tonight, it's just me and J-Rod. Uh, we're doing a little bonus episode for you. Of course, we're drinking some beers since it's we're actually doing a remote episode tonight. Uh, me and Jared have are getting with the times, and we're doing this via laptop, internet, <laughs> Lap- laptop Wi-Fi. recording. I'm just saying all the technology words I know. Um, I got some. I'm drinking some of the beers that. My brother got me. I got Funk Brewing. It's called Pipe Dream. It's a hazy IPA. It's pretty fucking good. It's got a can like Super Mario Brothers or something. It's pretty awesome. I'll save you in Super and Mario's dirt. can. Hold that. Hold that yeah. up to the camera so I can see that. I'll save you in Dirty D one so y'all can have it. Nice. Yeah, it looks exactly like the the Mario uh, letters or whatever. Yeah, so if the quality is not quite as good, it's because we're doing a remote recording. We're trying to work out the kinks and have the capability to do this. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so we probably won't go too hard on the drinking. I just got home from the bar. I got off of work early, and I've already had three pints, so I'm probably just going to have some water so I don't have to call into work tomorrow. <laughs> but tonight we're doing D.B. Cooper. Uh, Netflix documentary just came out. I've always been kind of fascinated by this story or whatever. It's more of a tall tale legend than anything else at this point, you know? I just, I mean, I've heard about it. Like I was telling you, that was the plot of Without a Paddle. They were looking for D.B. Cooper's treasure and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know he stole some money and jumped out of a plane. That's about all I know. I mean, that's pretty... Pretty fucking cool with sunglasses and... Yeah, (laughs) so... I think everybody knows that classic, um, like FBI, like police sketch or whatever. Yeah. Everybody knows what that looks like. That's just the classic. It's like kind of the the classic police sketch or whatever. Everybody knows what that is. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of evidence. It's more of like I was saying, it's more of a legend or tall tale at this point, especially in the Pacific Northwest, um, where it kind of took place or whatever. It's just one of those stories that, people tell and he's kind of a hero to the common folk because he stole so much money and kind of he got away with it and didn't hurt anybody he's like a robin hood but he didn't give any money back (laughs) yeah exactly there's a bunch of (laughs) there's a bunch of theories um it's really just theories and and stories but i thought it was kind of interesting it'll be a good bonus episode for us to do on this remote recording without dirty d So here we go. I'll get into it. D.B. Cooper was an unidentified man who hijacked the Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305. 
It was a Boeing 727 aircraft operated by Northwest Orient Airlines in the United States airspace, and the hijacking took place on November 24th, 1971. The plane was flying from Portland to Seattle, and the hijacker extorted $200,000 in ransom, which is equivalent to $1.4 million in today's money, and he asked to be flown to Mexico City. Is $1.4 million that much anymore either? <laughs> I mean, it's it's enough to... I guess I it's like enough to, to have a comfortable life. Like you buy I a house like I and spend that like on the weekends, filling up with gas and going to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's still 1.4 million, AKA one gas and uh barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Biden. <I> mean, <laughs> fucking Biden. I mean, 1.4 million is enough to set you up for a good while. I mean, you pay off your house, buy a nice car, Put some money in the bank, like you'd be comfortable for quite a while with one point four million dollars. It's you probably not enough. Rob something else again. Yeah, I mean, it's not enough to set you up to be like living large the rest of your life, but it's definitely enough to put a huge head start on your life. You know, you wouldn't have to worry about you buy a five hundred thousand dollar house and a nice hundred thousand dollar truck. You're good for twenty years. Like you don't you don't have to worry about anything. You know. Don't forget the the honeys and the cocaine. <laughs> well, yeah, that's up to you how fast you want to blow through the money or not. I want just, just one big weekend. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll probably die at the end of it. If I'm not dead, I didn't spend enough money. Yeah, well, as we've established, it's it's enough to set you up for a while or to have a really nice weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so he asked to be flown to Mexico City. I think if I remember this right, he got on board the plane, asked for the ransom money. They landed... He let some of the passengers off, like mostly most of them, and then got the money. And then they got back on the plane or whatever, and it took back off on their way to Mexico City from, I guess, Portland. He, at some point, he jumped out with the money or whatever. Where did he get the money from? Um, I don't remember. Like, I guess it became like through a police ransom or whatever, through the FBI, maybe. I don't, I don't remember oh, exactly how it was. Okay. So he they got on board the flight. From Seattle to Portland, at some point in the flight, I think he slipped the one of the um, the fuck are they called the the ladies stewardess stewardess. There you go. Is that what you call them nowadays? Is it a stewardess no, or that's like a flight attendant? Yeah, they don't like to yeah, be yeah. stewardesses anymore. <laughs> I, I just at some say, point, hey bitch, hey bitch, refill my drink. <laughs> yeah, so they they talked about that on the documentary. Uh, apparently, like in the seventies. Flying was kind of, um, it was like basically the equivalent of going to the strip club or bar to where you could just kind of like hitting on the stewardesses were just part of the thing. So it wasn't uncommon for like the male passengers to slip the stewardesses notes like, uh, you want to meet me in the bathroom and bang or like, what's your number, baby, blah, blah. You know, just dudes being weird and creepy or whatever. It was apparently super normal. So like slipping a note to to a flight attendant wasn't out of the ordinary and it wouldn't have raised any suspicion for a guy to to do that wearing sweats and have them sit in your lap is that (laughs) is that acceptable at this time or no yeah i think i think wearing a velour jumpsuit and uh (laughs) having the flight attendant 1.4 million dollars anything goes i mean yeah pretty much so anyway at some point on that original flight he slipped the flight attendant a note saying i have a bomb uh, you need to tell the pilot to radio blah, blah, blah. And, and like, we're going to land here. 
and have $200,000 in cash waiting for me. I'll let some of the, the people off and then we'll take off and then land in uh, Mexico City or whatever it was. I don't even remember at this point. I think it was yeah, Mexico, Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, so they went along with it and then the plane landed and then they got him his briefcase of money. And then I think it was just a couple of passengers left. It might have all been crew at this point. I think it was like four flight attendants and the two pilots or whatever. And they get the money on the plane. They take off and they fly into Mexico City. And then at some point on the flight, he like told all the flight attendants to go into the cabin, the cockpit or whatever. And then he went to the back of the plane and then parachuted out of the plane or whatever. Nice. And I think that was in Oregon, if I remember right. It's some like, was it Oregon or Utah? Like, you know, like they're, so they're in Portland. That's definitely in Oregon. Mexico City is like pretty much straight south, maybe a little bit southeast. So it's going to fly kind of over through Oregon, maybe into Utah and Arizona and then into Mexico or whatever, I guess. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly where he jumped out at, but they don't, the, the pilots and the stewardesses don't remember, don't know exactly when he jumped out. When they opened the door, he told him to fly at like 10,000 feet or whatever. So he, I guess, so he didn't suffocate when he jumped out of the plane. Yeah. So when he opened, when he opened the back of the plane, the pilot could tell like the, has the gauge to see when the pressure changed or whatever. So they know when he opened the door, but they don't know exactly when he jumped out. I mean, he could have opened the door and then sat there for 10 minutes and jumped out, or he could have jumped out right away. They don't really know that. So there's kind of like a lot of people are like, well, they know when he jumped out. Why don't they just, you know, know they know exactly where he landed kind of thing, but not really. They don't know when he, I mean, he could have waited half an hour or an hour before he jumped out. They don't know. Well, how, do they know how long was he? How long was the door open? I mean, he opened the door and then jumped out at some point. He told him, if y'all come out of the, the cockpit, I'm going to blow the plane up. So he like he had a, he had a bomb and showed it to him at some point and then told them, if y'all come out of the cockpit, I'm going to blow the bomb up. They well, everybody went into the cockpit, and left him alone. It's kind of weird to me because I, I mean, I've been on a couple of commercial flights on a 737. I've never noticed like an area in the back of the plane where you could jump out of a fucking airplane, right? Like not, it wasn't the emergency door thing or whatever. Apparently on this particular plane, like straight through the back of the plane. You ever seen a cargo plane where like the butt, like the butt of it opens up basically or whatever. Yeah. The ass opens. Yeah. Yeah. So basically this, this plane had, it's almost like a ladder, like the middle section of the plane would drop down and there's like a ladder where you go up into the, where like the passengers sit or whatever. It's like a separate loading yeah, area. Like, like in, uh, remember Con Air, they went down onto where the yeah, ex- like, they keep like the, the suitcases and stuff. Yeah, exactly. This That's exactly like that. That's, that's how it was. He, so. he kept his daughter's bunny. <laughs> that fucking bunny. Yeah. Conair, I love that movie, but it's a terrible movie. Like it really is a bad movie. It's a great movie. I it's mean, like, the acting is so bad. Nicolas Cage at his finest. I'm surprised he didn't get an Oscar for that. That his accent southern, is so his bad. Southern accent was on point. <laughs> it's so terrible. Tie oh, every- a red around the old oak tree. <laughs> Your boy's coming home. <laughs> every time they try to do a southern accent in a movie or a show, they ruin it. They butcher it. Laura watches well, that show. I know Michelle probably watches it too. 
on Netflix. Like, Which um, one? it's not Virgin River. What's what's the, what's oh, the I was one? Say Virgin River. I don't think it is Virgin River. It's the one where the kids play baseball, and it's got the red-haired lady and the guy from um, American Pie. The guy no. from American Pie. He does the bad Southern accent. It's god awful. You don't know what I'm talking about? No. Is that a new one? A new show? Yeah, it's fairly new. In the last year or two, I think it came out. I think there's like two or three seasons. Uh, Sweet Magnolias? Something no. Magnolia. You don't know that you don't watch that one? No. Everybody just sounds like Forrest Gump. You know, it, it, nobody else in the show does a fake Southern accent. The guy from American Pie, Chris Klein, I think is his name. He does the, the uh, worst Southern accent. The football, no, the like, lacrosse player or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the jock yeah. or whatever. Yeah, he, jock. his accent is so fucking bad, dude. It is terrible. It's just like when you watch it, I just cringe. I'm like, how could the director or whoever's in charge let this happen? You gotta just be like, dude, what are you doing? It sounds so bad. I love what you're doing here with the accent, but... Maybe we could try not doing that. <laughs> Let's try a couple with you not doing that. This season, no accent. Right. Yeah, I like what you're doing, but just don't sound like a retard. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Well, he, he tried it. He went for it. It's just like they talk. He talks so slow. It's one thing to like do the bad draw, but to sound that slow, like I'm talking with a southern accent like, dude nobody fucking talks like that it's terrible we jump yeah. to con air con- then to that Connor. yeah i'm gonna grab a beer you keep going with this ready all right so at some point during the flight to mexico city he opens the back door and he jumps out they don't really know like i was saying they don't know exactly when they just know that he jumped out somewhere between like southern oregon and i think it was utah uh, they i think they know within like a hundred miles or 150 miles or something like that but i mean that's a that's a pretty that's a, big lo- that's a lot of place like a lot of land to search 150 miles right and especially if there were like fifteen thousand feet and he parachuted he could have drifted miles either direction i mean there, there's just no way you're gonna know exactly where he landed at 150 miles could turn into like double that if the wind took him somewhere i didn't hear this in the investigation but i feel like at some point he could have climbed into the cargo hold and like hid somewhere or you know what i'm saying and then the plane landed he could have just like walked out because it's like a it's a suitcase it's a 200 grand is not that much money it's not like it you know like in the movies where they like we stole 30 million dollars and they put it all in one bag like, that's bullshit. That shit weighs like a 100 pounds or whatever. They're going to search that plane when it lands, though, right? Yeah, but I mean, it hits the runway. If it's just the crew on there, then they're going to be like, yeah, that's the guy. that guy's not part of the crew. If he asked for a parachute, or I think he asked for the parachute as a part of the ransom. I forgot about that. Or maybe he brought it on board with the bomb originally or whatever. I don't, I don't remember. So if he asks for a parachute and then the, the door opens and then at some point they figure out he's jumped out, they're probably going to make an emergency landing in some random airport, like in Utah or wherever. Right. Don't you think? I guess the cops aren't going to be waiting at that airport wherever they land. So, uh, I mean, some local cops will be like can radio in and say, Hey, we're stopping in Podunk, Utah. Get your Podunk police department there. That's true. That's true. Like plane. as they're landing, maybe, maybe so. But it was at this point, 
dark. It was at nighttime and it was raining really bad. So if they hit the runway and slow down, he could have like hopped out of the like the landing gear hole or something, rolled into a ditch on the runway. They're over there looking at the plane. He just walks off like any amount of possibilities, you know? Yeah. So that's something that they never they never brought up. But I thought was like a key part of it. He could have just been hiding on the plane or whatever. That's possible. I think it's very possible. The The main theory is that he did parachute out at some point and that he was a ex-military guy, like kind of a special forces. And he was trained as a parachutist. He got the money, which like I was saying, 200 grand's not that heavy. I think he said it could have weighed like 18 pounds. Strap that to your chest, hop out the back of the plane, land in the woods. And then if you would have, if he would have coordinated it right, he could have had a guy there in a Jeep or a four-wheeler or a boat, and they could have picked him up within an hour or two. If he was like, I'm going to jump and then land on this highway or this road or this river, they could have found him, you know, within 15, 30 minutes or an hour and been hauling ass out of there. You know, not that hard to believe, especially if he's a trained you know, a special ops guy who knows how to parachute and can navigate. He probably would have known within a few miles of where he's landing. Well, he sounds like Jason. That's like Jason Bourne kind of shit going on here. So he's definitely, if somebody's working with him, shoots them in the head. So he's got all the money for himself. That's at least what <laughs> yeah, I but would it, do. It's not enough money to be like a conspiracy thing in my opinion that was another theory a lot of people were saying oh like he's cia and he had all these resources or whatever but 200 grand like why would they even bother what's the point of that you know i feel like the cia could make way more money in a lot less risky ways than this the government does not like to lose or say they're wrong so if this guy got something over on the government they're just gonna be like oh yeah he died we looked and and he did. Well, yeah, that's the a lot of the theory. So the main suspect, if you watch the DB Cooper documentary on Netflix, is a guy called Bob Rackstraw, or I think it's Robert Rackstraw, aka Bob Rackstraw. He was a Vietnam vet and in kind of a special ops unit in Vietnam for just a really short period of time. And then he got discharged. I forgot why he got discharged, but a lot of people are saying like he got the training he needed to pull this kind of thing off and the government pissed him off, which obviously was late 60s, early 70s or whatever. So just I think he got discharged in 1970 and this happened in 71. There's a ton of evidence pointing to how it could have been him, but there's never been any concrete evidence. Like, Hold on. I'm looking at the picture of... D.B. Cooper and Robert Rackstraw, and that looks exactly like him. You think so? Yeah. So during the documentary, they kind of picked apart the police sketch. That came from one of the flight attendants. She's the one who kind of gave the description. And they are saying specifically, she said D.B. Cooper had brown eyes and the and Robert Rackstraw has green eyes or vice versa. Like the eye color didn't match. But I know he's wearing sunglasses in the picture, isn't he? Uh, yeah, and in like the most famous photograph. Sketch or whatever. Yeah, there's a bunch yeah. of them I know. Well, here's a funny question. I talked this about Laura when we were watching it. I was like, I just asked her randomly, like, what color is your coworker's eyes? Like somebody, when she's kind of friends with at work or whatever. And she's like, I have no idea. I was like, exactly. You don't fucking pay attention to people's eye color. Like, I couldn't tell you 
some of my best friend's eye color? Like, how is that something you notice? Well, I mean, I could be looking at somebody and be like, look at their eyes and be like, oh, yeah, brown eyes. And then get closer. It's like, oh, you really have yeah, it's green eyes. My, my bad. Yeah, right. So that that's another. Yeah, it's not like definitive proof that that's definitely not him. That's just. Yeah. I mean, you've been on an airplane for There's the light in the lighting in there is terrible. Like you can't tell what color everybody's eyes look dark in an airplane. And if it was you know? closer to nighttime also, then I mean. Right. Yeah, there's dark. definitely not enough light in the plane or whatever. Like even during the middle of the day, most people keep their windows shut. Or you might have said like, everybody close your windows. I got a bomb or whatever. Like, you, you know, that's not oh, proof that that's my color changes in the light too. Definitely. Like in, the, definitely. in the sun. Yeah. I've, I've got green eyes. It's like, if I wear a dark colored shirt and it's like dark, they look brown. Like it's not, that's not proof at all to me. They're, anybody's yeah. eye color can be different at any time. Especially if somebody's, gonna kill you with a bomb you're not gonna be like oh let me look at this motherfucker's eyes see what color they are yeah he he could have slipped the flight attendant a note saying i've got a bomb don't look at me you know like <laughs> do not notice my <laughs> eye color <laughs> maybe he's squinty eyed like i'm pretty yeah. squinty eyed you know like i don't my eyes aren't wide open ever for you to see my eye color so that was dumb that the whole thing on the eye color is dumb so the robert rackstraw thing there is a they do have some pictures of him from when he was in the service or whatever and it's a I mean it could be him it's a very close match he's got the right credentials and military training and he's an ex convict yeah he's got motive and he's got the behavior and history of like committing crimes or whatever so he's by far the most popular suspect of being it and in the documentary apparently a bunch of people have made this like their life's work to go and figure out if who who is DB Cooper or whatever? And they are all just pretty much decided that he's the guy. At the same time, though, they don't know. They'll they'll like call him up and ask him, "Are you DB Cooper?" And he's like, "That's a possibility." He he won't admit it, but he won't like deny it either. But I mean, I think the guy just likes the attention, you know. Probably. I mean, I would. I would. That'd be badass. Hell yeah! Knowing they have no evidence that can approve that prove that you it's not like he's a diddler or something like this guy's a legend people love him you know yeah i mean that's he's a, a fucking cool celebrity suspected of yeah exactly so of course if they can't prove that you did it and there's no hormone like kind of playing along then why not just be like yeah i don't know it could be wink wink with my green yeah right eyes. a lot of people are saying too that him and the guy making the documentary could have been working together to sell, like to make it interesting and look like he's the guy to sell the video or the documentary or whatever. They're kind of like, Oh, I'll cut you a check for a hundred grand. If I can sell it for 500 kind of thing, if you play yeah. along and like kind of, you'll take my calls and play along, but not, you know, deny it or admit it kind of thing. So a lot of people are say they're colluding together to, to sell the story or whatever. So, yeah, there's not really any proof or evidence. There's, I think they had, let me see if I can find it here on my article. There's three major pieces of evidence that were found on the plane. They found a black clip-on tie, a mother of pearl uh, tie clip, and then they found eight filter-tipped Raleigh cigarette butts. So he was smoking on the plane. And they saved those cigarettes, even in 71, which we've established on the show, DNA didn't come around till the 90s, which I feel like 
why are the police saving this kind of shit if there is no DNA back then? I feel like I'm sure it's on the horizon. They probably were like, this could be a way that we can't. We don't have the technology now. But one day we could probably do that. Exactly. I think that's definitely a thing. As we've established in our true crime episodes, they save all this stuff because the government slash police know that DNA is coming up or whatever. Yeah, especially if this guy is suspected of being a CIA agent and this is like a huge top priority case, they're probably going to be like, I can't do shit now, but maybe one day let me save these. uh, Yeah. Because let me save these cigarette butts because it's probably got his nasty ass spit all over it. So the FBI is the one that headed up the investigation. And a lot of the people in the FBI are the ones that suspect him of being Robert Rackstraw as the prime suspect and that he's in the CIA. He's got the right background. He's got little to no family. He's like the perfect profile for a CIA guy or whatever. You know, like the CIA and FBI are, are like kind of like against each other, right? They don't. They don't ever work together on cases. And a lot of people are saying the CIA is kind of like taunting the FBI publicly by doing this or whatever. Well, they they do two different things. The CIA is international and the FBI is uh, what's domestic. Is CIA only international? Like they don't do for anything the, domestic yeah, or whatever? For the, for the most part. I think it depends on what the crime is. The, CIA, the FBI does everything. CIA is not really... CIA is an international thing. CIA, like nobody knows what it is, right? Isn't that the whole thing? Like they don't admit to no, anything. It's right. just that's all black ops or whatever. They're all spies. And stuff. That makes sense. So that's pretty much all the evidence they have. Oh yeah, like I was saying, they saved those cigarette butts, but apparently at some point they've just gone missing. Like people are like, oh, why don't they just get a warrant and make Robert Rackstraw spit in a cup and then test the cigarette butt? They're just gone. Cigarette butts are gone. They have no DNA evidence or whatever. And also they have, they had some DNA evidence on the tie, the one of the, the, or maybe the tie clip or something, but it's just inconclusive or whatever. So same old crap. Like, well, I don't, I don't know even know if you can make them spit in a cup. Cause I mean, that's pro I don't know if that would be considered, uh, what's the word? Like when the case is too old. Oh, statute of limitations? Yeah, but then I think this would probably be kidnapping and terrorism. So I don't think that has any statute of limitation. So I looked into that a little bit, and apparently it would be st- statute of limitations because he didn't, it wasn't a violent, he didn't hurt anybody or whatever. Oh. Uh, but apparently, if he, if he like admits to it, if Robert Rackstraw was like, yeah, I'm him. Apparently you forfeit the statute of limitations. It's only if like they figure it out without him confessing to, apparently a confession doesn't count as, as far as that goes or whatever. Does that make sense? No. Like if he confesses, if he confesses, then they can still charge him with the crime. But it, oh. if they figure out that he did it just like through evidence, then it's statute of limitations applies and, Gotcha. The evidence is no good. Basically, the statute of limitations from what I could find is just the evidence is no longer any good. But if you admit to the crime, then it still counts or whatever. Gotcha. So like if, you know, DNA evidence that's 50 years old doesn't necessarily hold up or like eyewitness accounts that's 50 years old, obviously, is not reliable. So they can't charge you with a crime. Right. 
Right. But if you're I, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I fucking did it, then I feel like a lawyer could probably get you off on that. Like, oh, that for D- sure. That's why they don't even bother DNA, with it anymore. That DNA evidence kind of breaks down after a while, and especially if after it's been tested and stuff. Like, you can only test it so many times before it starts. Yeah, becoming right. Diluted or so yeah. yeah, or like contaminated or whatever. Yeah. Right. At some point, they found some money. Let's see. Let me read about that a little bit. On February 10th, 1980, which is nine years later, eight-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family at the Columbia River uh, downstream from Vancouver, Washington. So apparently this is in Washington State. They uncovered three packets of ransom cash totaling to $5,800. He said they were building a campfire and the little boy was like raking like the, the, the beach or whatever on the river, kind of raking out like a flat spot and he raked up $5,800 of money. Uh, the bills were disintegrated, but were still bundled in rubber bands. And FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. It was two packets of $120 bills and a third packet of $90, $100 bills. Or, I'm sorry, $90, $20 bills all arranged in the same order as it was when it was given to Cooper. So they found $5,800 on the beach of this river uh, eight nine, or nine years later. So in the documentary, this is an interesting part. Somebody said they were at a bar somewhere around, I guess, Washington State. And a guy was like, yeah, I'm D.B. Cooper. And see that family over there? There's like a guy and his wife, I guess. He's like, they're going to find part of the ransom money tomorrow. It's all like planned. And then they they did. They found part of the ransom money the next day. So this is just like one eyewitness story of a guy saying he ran into D.B. Cooper at a bar who who told him this was all going to happen or whatever. Well, I wonder what would be the point of that. I don't know. That See, that that all sounded like bullcrap. They wound up looking into that, obviously. And the guy who told him that he was D.B. Cooper, they found out who it was and basically ruled him out as somebody like a real suspect or whatever. Said it couldn't have possibly be him, basically... Because he didn't have the training to to like do the parachute or whatever. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was ruled out as a suspect. And so the story was most likely bullcrap. They said it wasn't true. Just somebody trying to, you know, get 15 minutes of fame or whatever. But that's a really, how are you supposed to know? Like, hey, you see those people over there tomorrow, they're going to find money. Yeah, but I mean, I think the whole story was made up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the guy telling that story is just, you know, bullcrap and wanting attention kind of thing. Gotcha. So you got to you got to think this is like a regional huge deal. I mean, people are constantly talking about it. It's like a hoax thing. Like, oh, I bet you won't call the news tomorrow and tell them that, you know, D.B. Cooper is kind of thing. Like, yeah, you know, it's a pretty common thing, I'm sure. Especially that that uh, that recent of an event. Yeah. So nine years after it happened, it was still like a huge uh, in in Washington and Oregon, like that area. It was a really big deal. People constantly were talking about it like, oh, are you is your neighbor Dan Cooper? Is your boss D.B. Cooper? My brother's D.B. Cooper. Like people were constantly like thinking they figured it out and like they kind of wanted to believe that they're everybody they knew was D.B. Cooper. By the way. That on the plane ticket, the DB Cooper thing was something that the media made a mistake on. He bought a plane ticket under the name of Dan Cooper. And apparently at some point 
when the news was reporting on it, they just messed it up and then said DB Cooper and that just stuck. How did, how do you mess that up? I don't know. I guess it's just typo or maybe it just, I think they, they were saying they think it's stuck because it just sounds cooler than Dan Cooper or whatever, but well, on the actual plane they ticket, it's gotta have like a, like with serial killers, they gotta have first middle and last name. Maybe they were just like, Dan, Dan B. Cooper. Yeah. Dan, Dan Bartholomew Cooper. <laughs> so here's kind of an interesting uh, thing. So Dan Cooper is apparently a comic book in Canada about a guy who oh, yeah, he's like a mountain. He's like a mountain man or something. And he like jumped out of a plane, jumps, he jumps out of planes as a parachutist or whatever. So it's like a yeah. comic book thing that's really this, popular. This was before in, the D.B. Cooper story, though, right? Oh, yeah. The, 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 okay. the comic book thing predates this whole thing. So the guy could have been like, had this plan and then being like, obviously, like, oh, I'm just going to write Dan Cooper on my plane ticket because he's, you know, this is maybe he modeled the whole thing after a comic book series. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And if he's from like the Washington area close to Canada, he'd probably. Oh, for sure. Right. Could get that comic book over the border or something. Yeah. So it was a real popular, like in the Vancouver, Seattle area. I think those are pretty close together. Uh, You definitely would have heard of that comic book. If you were from that area Uh, back then, like the Canadian border was open. It would not be out of the ordinary for you to just drive from Seattle to Vancouver, just like you'd drive from new Orleans to Baton Rouge here. Like no big deal. Uh, also air travel was like buying a bus ticket. Basically you could walk into the airport. Like I want a plane from Portland to Dallas. And then you just literally wrote your name. They didn't ask for ID or anything. You give them 20 bucks and you're on your way. Like there was no security background check, blah, blah, blah. Just, just like buying a fucking bus ticket or a lottery ticket. Like you didn't need shit. Yeah. Fucking bin Laden ruined all that. (laughs) Thanks bin Laden. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Guys, we don't we don't really know what we're doing on the remote recording yet. We have no idea how this is going to sound uh, or how it's going to come out. We're still trying to learn this technology. I feel Hopefully like it comes out good. I don't. I don't. I'm just using my computer microphone, so I feel like I'm yelling really loud, and I <laughs> and I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> yeah, Aaron's holding his hands in front of his face the whole time. <laughs> Oh man, I want to go get another beer, but I really shouldn't. I'm going to up missing work tomorrow if I do. It's one beer. <sighs> but yeah, but I already had three 16 ounces at Salty Joe's a while ago. I had a shot of Jack, uh, one 16 ounce, and an all day IPA, and another 16 ounce. Damn, you're doing it big, huh? Fuck going to work tomorrow. Dude, I just, I can't do the hangovers anymore. I'll admit it. I'm 33. I'm a pussy nowadays. I can't drink more than like three or four beers and go to work the next day. I feel awful. I've done, oh yeah, I had to work last or two weeks ago on Saturday. I drank eight beers. I went to work and I was pretty fine. (laughs) Mostly fine. (laughs) I mean, I was tired, but I wasn't hungover. (laughs) Mostly, you only contemplated suicide twice while you're at work. Yeah. I threw up 24 times, though. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't really have much more on the DB Cooper. This is just a bonus episode we're doing on the remote recording. I mean, is there anything you want to add to it? No, I mean, uh, 
we could DB Cooper could be like a full, really full blown long episode. We're just kind of touching on stuff. Yeah, you could turn it into a three hour recording, but there's not a lot of proof or evidence. There's not. Oh, you there's there's basically one of the actual story too much of him getting on the plane, talking to the waiter, not the waitress, but the stewardess. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. There's there's only there's like two eyewitnesses. Uh the like one one stewardess and then I guess the person who sold him the ticket at the the well, counter shit, for the, the airline. I mean maybe the stewardess was in on it. That's another thing. It could have been part of the crew. The crew could have been in on it. Like could have been anything. Maybe the pilots were some I wonder if they ever checked into them. What if they were Vietnam pilots? He could have been, you know, I in the I don't know the them. The documentary, which is where I got most of my information from, a little bit of reading. And I've always been interested in this thing, this case, like my whole life or whatever. It's always been something I've heard about. They've never, they never mentioned anything about that. I'm sure somebody vetted the pilots and the stewardesses. Like, it's not that much money. Like, if I gave you 50 grand, even that being like 250 grand back then, that's not enough money to like prove you did anything wrong if you were smart about it, you know? It's not like, oh, you know, Aaron's living in a palace now and he's working at fucking dollar store. Like 50 grand's not enough money to do that much with. Like what do you maybe pay off some debt and buy a new car? Like you can't It was prove. a million dollars. Yeah, but I'm saying if I gave you a piece of it. Oh, yeah. Like but if like I gave I the said, pilot 25 grand. Like I said, I'm killing everybody so I can have that whole $200,000 or whatever it was. <laughs> Get one I said last- that. Uh, turn that stewardess out one more time killer <laughs> done deal <laughs> banger on the back of the plane yeah and you <laughs> of course you're gonna bang her again when she's dead you sick fuck <laughs> me and the pilot are gonna mong the shit out of her <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're gonna be like in a low gravity situation so like the shit that comes out will be slow motion or whatever you know oh yeah just keep your like the plane dive <laughs> yeah no that's the good shit that's the whole point no, of it you don't want blowback yeah so there's not a lot of evidence or it's just like i say there's a couple of eyewitnesses nobody knows who he is so you can't do any kind of a backstory on it like it's just all speculation he could have jumped out of the airplane his parachute failed and he died that could be the end of it or he could have jumped out of the plane hopped in a boat and just went on living his life and could it be anybody, any random person. Like how hard is it to parachute? Uh, well, I mean, you have to have so many parachutes. But that style of parachute, it's like the round one. Yeah. There's not really any controlling it. Like you just hop out of the plane and then hope you land on like not into a tree or into the side of a mountain or whatever. It's not like the one where you can, yeah no it's It's just like open it up and you're going down so hopefully there's nothing down there i don't see how that would require any training or anything it seems silly to me too like oh it couldn't be that guy because he wasn't in the army and didn't parachute out of planes i mean anybody can jump out of a fucking plane with a parachute on doesn't mean they're gonna survive but i mean people rob banks and shit without military training and shooting people with guns but they still do it you know and i mean Especially where they think he jumped out. Wasn't it all like forests and stuff? Yeah, I think it was, I guess maybe some part of of 
Oregon or Washington, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. It's really rural over there. So, I mean, he landed in the middle of the woods somewhere. I mean, you could, you could, you'll never find him. Yeah. I guess I'll stop looking. So that's pretty much D.B. Cooper. That was a good first attempt at a remote uh, episode. Hopefully it sounds good. I mean, it is what it is. Hopefully, you know, it's better than not having anything to put out. So y'all bear with us if it sounds like crap. We're we're working on it. All right, I'm going to end it. Yep, go for it. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Sorry for uh, the little hiatus we took. I think it was only one a week. Yeah, we had a lot, we've had a lot going on. Times have been rough. Everybody's got a lot going on all the time. It seems like. But now with this, we can sit at home and jerk off while we talk to each other. It'll be fun. I've been watching porn this whole time. You see how my eyes are off well, to the side a little bit. I kept yeah. hearing your like <laughs> your chair hitting the wall and stuff. <laughs> and then when you put your legs above your head, it was really awkward. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> so and it was just like a, yeah. a white hazy filter on the screen you couldn't see but it's just like white dripping it was nice it was okay <laughs> uh, remember guys yeah. to like us and share us on facebook love us on the instagram uh rate us on spotify rate us and give us a review on itunes i don't know if we've had any itunes reviews yeah dirty d usually looks that stuff up or yeah, we'll address that when we get back to regular format. Just the tip. We'll see you next week.